Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. I'm Ben Olson and with me in Los Angeles is Nathan Fox. Nathan? How you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, how's the weather in LA? <laughs> it's perfect, as always. I've been stuck inside, though. I caught like some stomach flu kind of a thing, so I've been uh, basically horizontal for the past 36 hours. I'm feeling a little bit better. I've, I've slept for literally like... 18 or 20 hours out of the last 36 hours. So I'm feeling a little bit better. So when you get sick, uh, do you cancel class? I have never once canceled a class due to sickness. Dude, I was going to say the same thing. I've never canceled, even if I feel like I'm going to throw up. And um, I mean, I wouldn't want other people to get sick. So if I felt like it was a contagious sort of thing, then I would cancel it. But I've never felt that way. Because sometimes it's just got to happen, you know? Like, oh. there's not enough time to, like, reschedule and all that stuff. A solo entrepreneur, man, without, like, really a whole hell of a lot of backup. I, I, yeah, I just, I don't have the squad to support. <laughs> I, <laughs> the show must go on. B- business has to keep happening. You know, even when yeah. I was having all my back problems um, and I was, like, laid out while I was waiting for back surgery, uh, yeah. During that time, I brought my yoga mat to class, and there were a couple classes that I taught <laughs> literally laying on the ground in front of the class. I remember you telling me about that. I had forgotten about that. So what did you do? You lie down, and you sit up and say something, and then lie back down? I would, yeah, I would like get up and talk for a while, because standing was kind of okay, so I could get up and stand for a while. And then, yeah. and then like I would like the kids would be doing their own, you know, doing a section or, or doing some group work or whatever. And then I would just lay down on the ground. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That was rough. What do we have on the show today? So we have, uh, updates from a couple of listeners who applied for accommodations. That's going to be interesting. Um, we have a personal statement, which we love reviewing from Eve. And then we have another email about reviewing, how to review missed logic game questions. So yeah, like good stuff. Um, do we want to give people updates on Facebook? Yeah, I guess people keep it keeps growing. I know last time it was in the three hundreds. I don't know what it was, but now it's at four twenty, which is exciting. So thank you for joining the face our the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. Um, our patrons have gone up to fourteen. I don't know what it was before, but ninety one dollars a month is very helpful. And now paying for nine percent of our show expenses every month. So thank you to right, the patrons. 9%. Yep, nine point one. Yep. Um, if you guys ever have questions, you can always email us at help at thinkinglsat dot com. Um, and we have a little promo here. I guess I'm always hesitant to read this kind of stuff, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know why we do this uh, for a living. If you don't know, we teach the LSAT and my website is strategyprep.com and Nathan's is foxlsat.com. And you can sign up for our online classes, one-on-one private tutoring, or uh, even our classes in either DC, LA or San Francisco. So those are our live classes, but yeah. Anything else? No, let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So let's see here. Do you want to take this first one? Sure. Okay. Uh, Subject, double time granted. Hi, Nathan and Ben. After listening to your recent episode of The Pod, I thought I would share my experience with getting accommodations for the June LSAT. 
I apologize for the wall of text, but feel free to share on the show if deemed relevant. In 2013, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy. For those who don't know, narcolepsy is a neurological condition where my brain is unable to regulate my sleep cycles, leaving me exhausted daily. For the average person to compare, it feels like I haven't slept in three days no matter how much I actually sleep. Because of this, I was able to get extended test time in college without much of a fight. When I submitted the paperwork to the LSAT, sorry, when I submitted my paperwork for the LSAT, I had my sleep specialist fill out the statement of need and include all relevant documentation. To my surprise, I was approved without question for extra time and additional breaks within 48 hours. I requested double time with the expectation that they would offer me time and a half. I have heard horror stories of people being either denied with legitimate documentation or offered very little in terms of help. Additionally, they have allowed me to move my test date to the following Saturday so that I can begin at 8.30 a.m. rather than begin testing at 12.30 p.m. As someone who legitimately needs extra time and breaks, I am pleased with this outcome. I originally attributed my quick approval to being covered under the ADA, but it sounds like LSAC is just allowing everyone through. Even I was surprised at how simple it was to get extra time and would prefer it to be a bit more challenging to prevent people from gaming the system. It's like people who take their untrained dogs everywhere under the guise they are service dogs. It causes problems for everybody and really hurts those who need it most. Thank you both for the great podcast and for the hybrid class, Ben. Oh, this is one of your students, Ben. Best, Virginia. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I'm... In some ways, the quick turnaround seems right to me. I guess it seems to me like I would like this process to be more standardized. So if it's a clear-cut case, you get approval right away. If it's not, you don't. But I guess it's kind of hard, and um, maybe that's what Virginia is referring to. Yeah, just because it was a quick turnaround doesn't necessarily mean it was a rubber stamp. I mean, it could just be that they're taking care of business. Mm -hmm. You know, I... I wouldn't hold that against them necessarily. Uh, one interesting thing here from Virginia, she she might have she might have like accidentally fucked herself by requesting double time. You know, mm-hmm. like she she thought she was negotiating, so she requested double time, and they gave her time and a half. But then yeah. they were like, "Oh no, here's your double time." So now she has double time. Yeah, and that can actually suck if. Um, if she's taking the test by herself, I have heard of proctors who will let you shorten your, your extra time. Like you're done with the section and there's 15 minutes left and they, mm-hmm. and the, and a, a benevolent proctor. And if you're the only one in the room, they might say, Oh, okay, well, are you ready to start the next section and yeah. just get on with it? But if you're in the room and there are other people who are taking it with double time, then you're going to have to wait out that double time. Mm-hmm. And that can kind of suck. Because now you're dealing with 70-minute sections, five of them, and you, yeah, you've plus, got it, plus the breaks. Well, plus the breaks in the, in the writing sample. I mean, you're there. You're going to be there at a minimum of seven and a half hours. It's, yeah. It's a long test. <laughs> yeah, that's a long, that's a very long day. So I, I gave the advice the other day to somebody that they take a nap, like during the thing. Mm, that's a good, that is good advice. I mean, if you're, if you got that time, you might as well use it to like recharge. Yeah. Put your head down on your desk. Tell the proctor to make sure to wake you back up before the next section (laughs) starts. 
<laughs> Can you tap me on the shoulder? Um, yeah, because if you if you let the test get to you and you feel the pressure, the need to use every minute and recheck things and all that stuff, oh. then you're just going to get drained out. Yeah. 70 minutes is way, way, way too much time. You should be able to figure these things out in 70 minutes if you're going to be able to figure them out. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's too much. It's more than enough time. So, uh, yeah, it, it might have been a smarter strategy there for Virginia to just ask for, for time and a half instead of double. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, next one. Yeah. Dear Ben and Nathan, if this makes it to the show, feel free to use my real name. If you do end up, if you do end up going doing an East Coast road show, I would be more than willing to commute from the Midwest. Okay. In yeah, response, we, to, maybe we should make a little note about that right now. Sure. Since the listeners are thinking about it, we mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago we talked about potentially doing a class this summer in New York City. Um, it turned out that the details of that were uh, a little hard to organize between me and Ben. Um, but we did get quite a decent response for that. I want to say we got 15 or 20 people saying that they would be interested. And, yeah. um, so that's, that's certainly enough to motivate us to come out for a weekend class. If we can just figure out the dates, I do not think, in fact, I'm sure we're not going to get it done now in time for the June LSAT, but we, we might be able to pull something off for the July LSAT. And if not, I mean, we we're open to doing this sort of thing in the future. If there is, uh, enough demand for it, we, we would enjoy it. I mean, we're, we would love to teach a class together sometime almost just oh, for yeah. fun. It um, would be fun. Yeah, I think it would be really fun, and it would be nice to go see listeners uh, in a different place. And New York seems like a pretty good meeting up place for everybody on the uh, East Coast and this listeners willing to come from the Midwest. So um, yeah. it, it's on the it's on our agenda. We we uh, are thinking about it. We really appreciate your response. That's all. Yeah, thanks. In response to the impending come apocalypse, I decided to head towards shelter. That would be towards shelter, wouldn't it? What did I say? Well, you read it. Oh. Oh, toward. Is that what you're saying without the S? Yeah. Oh, yes. That would be. Is Um, it ever towards? If you go to the UK. Yeah. Oh, okay. We've talked about this before, I think. That just rang a bell. Yeah, yeah. In the US, it's always going to be head toward. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Yep. And if you're applying to a U.S. law school, keep that in mind. (laughs) Although the person reviewing it may not know that nuance. I don't know, though, because that's not like you're spelling color with an Mm O-U-R and it makes you look sophisticated. Mm -hmm. This one is also something that people do who just don't know better. I mean, this isn't like I wouldn't read that and go, oh, this might be someone from the U.K. Yeah, I would read that and I would go, oh, you don't know the rules. Yeah. So anyway, that's a care. You want to be careful about that one. With one day remaining before the deadline, I self-submitted a request for extra time based on a diagnosis of traumatic brain injury for the June LSAT. Okay. Um, It was approved overnight. Interesting. Yet again, a fast approval. I'm not exaggerating. Screenshots as evidence. We believe you. Uh, I've had longer wait times for emails to confirm a a form accounts. Form accounts. Yeah. A form account. I have attached I attached a copy of a proof of diagnosis as evidence with no qualified professional's recommendation. 
I have also never received any accommodations in any setting before. Even being on the winning side of this glitch, I will admit that they really need to bulk up their stringency. Simply wanted, I simply wanted to test Nathan's hypothesis from a previous episode about how easy accommodations are actually are to receive. Yeah, interesting. But uh, I, I start. But can I just? I I had to send um, Alex a follow up email about this just to, mm. to to check what was up. So the, this is a real traumatic brain injury that Alex had, and it was an accident that occurred, you know, five years ago. And so Alex sent uh, a, a a proof of a diagnosis of a traumatic brain injury. And so it was a real injury, and and Alex submitted proof of this real injury. Yeah, I guess what's surprising to me is that without a professional's recommendation, right? What are the implications of a traumatic brain injury five right. years later? You know, like it could be nothing, it could be significant. So, hmm. Anyways, I started studying in January with a cold 149 and currently have an average time to benchmark of roughly 161 thanks entirely to you both in the podcast wow so if that's true then you didn't actually have to do anything you could have just listened to the show i guess and your <laughs> score would rise yeah or you actually wouldn't even have to do that you could just go watch netflix and our talking would cause your score to increase <laughs> I did take one practice test with the generous 53 minutes and skyrocketed to 169. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So he's already been approved for accommodations, right? Yeah, so, so then he did his first practice test with 53 minutes and he went up yeah. from a 161 to a 169. My current study habits are one to two time sections a day with a thorough review of my mistakes. I've worked my way through both of your free classes and, and the majority of Nathan's books. If I have an extra 10 minutes, I use Nathan's LR Encyclopedia, which I'm more than halfway through. When reviewing, I also take advantage of Ben's generous amount of explanations on his website. Cool. Yeah, that's that, not, you know, that's not, um, he, he's like, that's not uh, just thanks to the podcast. That's like, Alex has also been busting his ass. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's done he's done a bunch of times. He's been doing time sections every day. He's done both of our free classes, which we're we're amazed how often we hear from people who want tips, but they haven't actually done our free classes that we keep yelling about. Yeah, well, that annoying phrase, right? Tips and tricks. Yeah. What other tips do you have? <laughs> I'm like, well, did you do my free class? Yeah, but what now? But what other tips do you have? <laughs> yeah. Um, you need to start doing some work. That's what you need to do. And so Alex has been doing the work and the work pays off on this thing. I mean, we expect people to be able to improve their score by 10 points or more. And Alex has already gotten there through hard work. Yeah. Yeah. With that said, my questions, number one, with accommodations in my future, would it make more sense for me to focus on still performing 35-minute times practice sections, or would it be more beneficial to take the whopping 53 minutes and work through at a slower pace? I have no doubt my RC and LG issues will be solved with additional time. However, I feel that it may be necessary to change my LR strategy since there's room to allot time to the later questions. No, there should be no. Well, there shouldn't be a change in strategy. So that means your initial strategy wasn't good. Right. You should definitely be practicing with fifty-three minutes. You practice to what you're going to actually have to do, and you should just be going through at the pace that you should be going through. And now getting to more questions because you have more time, not because 
you're slowing down or doing anything different with your pacing. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I would just practice at 53 minutes and go until you can go no more. Yeah, I mean, with 53 minutes, Alex should be probably finishing this the LR sections. And that means that Alex is going to be discovering some of the hardest questions on the test. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's a different strategy. That's just you're going to be uncovering harder questions. It seems as if maybe Alex was doing a uh, not really following our advice on LR previously. Going too fast. Yeah. The, the fact that Alex even uses the word a lot mm-hmm. here, you know, like there's room to allot time to the later questions. There is no allotting time. We're, we're never allotting time. We're just answering the question that's in front of us accurately before moving on to the next one. And then the proctor tells you to stop and you say thank you. Yeah. And you start another section. Right. And <laughs> you do as many as you have time to correctly do. And so there there is no such thing as allotting time. Yeah. All right. Uh ooh, question one A. A star. <laughs> If your answer is for me to do 53-minute practice sections, should I focus more on the higher hanging fruits that I was previously bypassing on timed sections? What? I don't... So a high, <laughs> so low-hanging fruit would be easier questions. Um, so apparently by referring to higher hanging fruits... Alex is saying that he skipped harder questions. You shouldn't be skipping questions. You should just go straight through. Yeah, and you should just slowly, carefully, accurately, one at a time. You'll be surprised that they might not take as long as you think they're going to take if you're going carefully and calmly and accurately. Yeah. And you just do one at a time until the proctor says stop. So with 53 minutes, you just do it for... 18 more minutes than you were previously doing it. And that means you're going to have, you're going to be able to do another five, six, seven questions than you previously were. That would be enough time for most people to finish the section, but it's not like you're not carving off time to spend on the harder questions. You're just going to have time to do the harder questions. Yeah. And by the way, Alex, even if you do run out of time and don't finish the last one or two or however many, well, so what? You were investing your time as needed to answer each question as you were working on it. Yeah. You, you have to do your work. I was just working with a student who is scoring around 170 to 173. Okay. And when he would get questions wrong in a section, he'd say, oh, I got two wrong in this section. And I'd say, oh, okay, well, um, maybe we should talk about those. I said, well, these are the last two questions. I just didn't get to them. And I'm like, dude, that is the discipline that we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Just going through, and then it's like the time is over. It's like, okay, next section. People are always like, well, if I don't finish... How am I going to get into the 170s? It's like, well, it happens. You're already there. If you're getting 23 in a row at the start of the section, Mm -hmm. that's 92 questions correct. That's a 170 on every test. Yeah. 
and you still have a chance to guess the ones that you don't do. You still might guess one of them correctly. Yep. Uh, not only that, but the next practice test you do, the test is going to continue over time. The test is going to continue getting easier and easier. Mm-hmm. If you're capable of doing 23 in a row, right. Then keep doing exactly what you're doing and you might surprise yourself and do 24 on the next test. Yeah. It has nothing to do with stretching and trying to get to that 24th question. It has everything to do with one at a time, getting it right. Being present with each question. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Um, Alex continues question two, regardless of score, I do still plan on taking the September LSAT. Okay. So regardless of what score he gets in June, is that when he's planning to take it? I think yes. Um, he's going to take it again in September. Hmm. What about July? I intend on using additional help for it. Would I be a better candidate for tutoring or just signing up for one of your classes? Hmm. I mean, at, at 169 with the extra time, tutoring seems like probably a better bet, but either it de- way. It depends. I mean, at a 169, that does make you a good candidate for private tutoring the higher you score, the more likely it is that you're going to get really bang for your buck when you sit down with me or sit down with Ben. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't talk you out of tutoring. That said, you could also get a ton out of one of our online classes. Yeah. Um, Either way, you know, you've got the work ethic, it seems like. And so you're going to be successful, I think, with either one of those routes. The thing that people need to remember is that it's not just like give us money and magically everything is fixed. You have, you know, giving us money and having us pay attention to you personally helps a lot, but you have to do your homework in between the tutoring sessions anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say either, either way, probably if this was a one fifty nine, I would be like, I don't think private tutoring. You know, or a 149, I would be like, definitely not private tutoring. No. Um, question 2A. Nathan, do you offer a discount for a student who has already purchased all of your books? Um, I do offer a small one. You can email me and I'll send you a coupon code for a slightly discounted price. I can't give you uh, the full price you've paid for the books because... Amazon takes 50% of the book sales and then the LSAC takes um, a bigger chunk of what's left (laughs) than what I get. So if you buy my logical reasoning encyclopedia for $79, I think I I get $15 or something like that off of it. Hmm. So um, if you've already purchased my books and you don't need me to send them to you, I can give you um, something off of my class. Yes. Cool. Alex continues, I will update with a score following the June LSAT, which will be my first one. Okay. Meanwhile, I will focus on not stasturbating to avoid developing hairy palms leading up to the test. (laughs) Thank you, Alex. (laughs) Once again, thank you both. Thank both. Thank both of you for all you do for us masochists that insist on going to law school. I encourage everyone else that uses this podcast as a resource to jump on Patreon. Thanks. It's sincerely incredible how much Ben and Nathan do for all of us for free. Alex. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, cool. Next one. Sure. Uh, hi, Ben. I was hoping that you and Nathan would give my personal statement a review on the podcast would be okay if you find it useful for other listeners. I was enrolled in your 100-hour class this past fall, scoring a 158 on my diagnostic. In December, I scored a 171 and managed a 174 in February. Thank you again for the life-changing help. Sweet. Dude, that's pretty good. 16 points up to a 174. That is life-changing. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Um. I have a 3.86 GPA and will be applying to many of the top 15 schools this upcoming fall. My goal is to be accepted to Harvard or Stanford. The personal statement is attached. Thanks for considering Eve. It's Eve, right? A dude, Eve. That's my yeah. guess. I, okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay, we ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> um, we will always give uh, brutally honest feedback if you want to send your personal statement into the show. Also, um, we can't do every one that people send in, so we, we pick and choose personal statements as they come in. Um, we have gotten pretty good feedback on this segment of the show, though, so, uh, and we really enjoy doing it. So um, here we go. <laughs> It's fun to make fun of people's writing. <laughs> we do it from a place of love and we only, I mean, we're only doing it because we want to help you make this document as good as you can possibly make it. Yeah. Um, this starts off law school, personal statement. What do you think about that? Mm, yeah. Well, you don't need a title. No. It just says personal statement in the top corner with your LSAC ID, from what I remember. Yeah, you want personal statement, your your LSAC ID at the top of every page. But then you don't need any title, including not the title of law school personal statement. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I could hear my opponent's heavy breaths as we locked eyes through the frame of our face masks. Okay, that's not a bad visual. We know where he's at. It seems like he's playing football. Yeah. Anne was in my class a couple weeks ago, and she was complaining about people making their opening too cinematic. Yeah, like kind of the start of a movie. Someone's running away with something in their hands, and you don't know what it is, but it brings you right into the movie. Yeah. She she said, um, I want them to learn something about you that they didn't already know. Mm. And I want them to learn it in the first sentence. So here, I guess, yeah, we have playing football. You're a football player Mm -hmm. that may or may not be reflected elsewhere in your stuff. Probably not. If this is high school football, that that wouldn't be on your resume or transcripts or anything. Is this high school? If it is, that's, Gonna be, that seems a little too young to me, but we'll, I guess we'll see. What, I've never heard uh, of the San Diego Jewish Academy, so I don't know. Yep. Oh, yeah. That sounds like be. a high school to me. Yeah. So, right. So if this is about high school football, I think that's a, probably not a great place to start. Yeah. I don't particularly like this 
right off the bat, I mean, just the first like seven, eight words, I could hear my opponent's heavy breaths. It is very dramatic. And it's not an image that I really particularly like to (laughs) hear about. Like your opponent is panting, breathing on you now. I don't know. It's just kind of distasteful. I, I, I could, I could hear my opponent's heavy breaths as we locked eyes through the frame of our face masks. I wanted it to say frames too, because it's two face masks. But now I think what Eve might be saying is it's a frame, like from a movie perspective, the frame is the two face masks combined make a frame. Mm-hmm. And so now we see the eyes, we're picturing the eyes. I don't know. To me, I think that's just too cinematic. I, I don't, it's, I think you could treat this as more of a professional document instead of like really trying to have a zinger opening at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was the San Diego Jewish Academy's first game as the first Jewish football team in the country. Hmm. Really? Well, that's what he's saying. Okay. I mean, if you replaced those two first sentences with, I was a member of the first Jewish football team in the country. Yeah. It's, you know, you're saving a lot of real estate there and you're just telling someone a fact about you instead of making them wade through a bunch of stuff to get to it. Yeah, really two facts. You play football and... It was the first. Yeah. Well, I mean, you play football, no one gives a shit about, but I (laughs) really, I I don't like high school football is not a distinguishing mark. No, but it's still like, it's just telling us something about him more quickly, right? right? All we got from the first sentence was football. And now we're getting football, Jewish first football. So maybe, uh, oh, I don't know. Trendsetter sort of feel. Yeah. So let me, I'm going to reread the first two sentences so we can get to this third sentence <laughs> and, yeah. and the, deliver it the way he wanted it delivered. So I could hear my opponent's heavy breaths as we locked eyes through the frame of our face masks. It was the San Diego Jewish Academy's first game as the first Jewish football team in the country. Quote, you Jew animals will be shut up for good after this game, kike. End quote. We slammed helmets as the play began. Hmm. Thoughts? Well, it's provocative, I guess. I mean, I'm kind of, I think I might have read this when he emailed this in, but I I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see how this plays out. But um, I'm surprised that someone said that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that there is anti-Semitism. Yeah. That quote seems a bit too good to be true. I mean, a bit too bad to be true. Yeah. Like, is that how someone speaks when they're on the line in a football game about to bash each other's heads in? You Jew animals will be shut up for good after this game, comma, kike. It's just a little... I don't know. It's (laughs) seems like it would be shorter. Yeah. Two or three words. Like maybe just the word kike. Yeah. Or Jew animal, or yeah, so I don't. It just seems like I read that and it just doesn't ring true to me in the context. It's like, even if it's true, it, it probably, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, it probably is true. It's just that it doesn't sound true. 
Well, he's recreating this from his memory. Right. And so he's got to f- come up with these words. And were these the exact words? Sometimes we remember exactly what someone said to us, but a lot of times we don't. We just remember the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would reword that to make it sound more like something that a sweating, snorting football player would say on the line. <laughs> you know, that just doesn't like it. It rings untrue for some reason. Yeah. Um, okay. And so now if you think about it, if, if the reader only read your first paragraph, what do they get out of it? I mean, in this case, what someone was taunting him, this is obviously not good, but that's it. That's all we get. Well, they get that you're Jewish and that you experienced some anti-Semitism when you were playing football in high school. Yeah. That's what they get. Does that make you a good lawyer? Does that make you a good candidate for law school? Does that, are you bringing something to the table? Do they know right now something that you're bringing to the table? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they do. Yeah. So, you know, and it's not like they are going to literally only read the first, per, the first paragraph, but you sort of need to pretend like they are going to only read the first paragraph, I think. Yeah. You got to be lawyers like to state their conclusion at the beginning and end of their, of their statement, right. Of their argument. Mm-hmm. You want you want to be like, here's what I'm selling. Yeah. And then at the end, you want to be like, here's what I just sold you. You want to just say, here's, here's the conclusion we're trying to reach. And then here's all my case for it. And then here's the conclusion again. And so here, I don't, that just doesn't seem to be like, I don't see what the offer is here. I don't see what the, I don't see what Eve wants really. Well, no, it's a good point because if, if you, if you imagine them only reading your first paragraph, in a lot of ways, that's true because if your first paragraph fails, they might skim the rest but not really be reading it. If it, if it succeeds, then they will read the rest. So if you do it right, you get both the passage and the first paragraph. If you don't do it right, then you lose the first paragraph and you lose the rest of the passage. Who cares? If you do, right. If you do it this way, you had better have hooked them. Yeah. They better be so compelled that they're going to read the rest of it. So that's just a risky, that's a risky move. I mean, they're going to take two or three minutes to read this entire thing. And, and if it's, you know, if you're on the edge or if it's a truly great statement, it might get read more than that. But otherwise, I mean, I I don't know. I just don't know that that's the best use of real estate at the top of a statement. Yeah. Okay. After sharing the story with my teammates, they decided that this opponent should be physically intimidated into silence. My instinct was to convince him and others like him that the Jewish people were not animals. I needed to develop the tools to do so. Okay. So my gut reaction to this is like Eve is saying, Hey, look, my teammates wanted to do this like negative thing. And I, I just wanted to do this positive thing. And I just needed to develop the tools to do so. I, I don't want to question your <laughs> um, motives, but it's, it's a little hard to believe. I don't know. Part of me just wants you to say something like, I was angry as well. Like it, it almost seems unhuman a little bit to just be so like 
oh, I just want to help them. I just want to help him understand that we're not animals. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe Eve was just naturally like responding to this in a positive way, but it doesn't, I don't know. Especially in uh, such a testosterone and violence oriented context of a football game. Mm -hmm. I mean, football players do try to crush people into the ground. That's what football is. And so you, but you, you're playing football, but you're not into the football physical mentality, even in the face of someone calling you racist names. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little saint like. It just seems very emotionless. I mean, the yeah. mo- the most common negative emotions in reaction to anything are sadness, fear, anger, and um, oh, I forgot the other one. But anyways, uh, ha- happiness. Well, no, Sorry. I think of like negative, like responses. oh, negative okay. sadness, <laughs> happiness. <laughs> I don't want any of that. Um, sadness, fear, anger. And yeah, I guess those three. So um, you would expect even, you know, the most saintly person to have some sort of one of those emotions initially. And admitting that, and even if you work through it quickly, gives you credibility. This just seems, I don't know, just a little like, yeah, it's hard to believe. That's all. Yeah. I approached the school principal and she set up meetings with campus representatives from the Anti-Defamation League and APAC. Is that how you say that? APAC? A-I-P-A-C? I don't know. I don't know how to say it either. I'm going to say APAC. After many training sessions, my teammates' instinct to silence the misguided high schooler shaped into a bevy of useful tools to engage prejudice. Cut, cut, bevy, please. Bevy, yeah. No one says that. Uh, if you do say it, stop saying it. But, <laughs> but don't stop say things. Don't write things that you don't say. No one says yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the ADL and APAC stressed building reputation, organizing activism, and articulating speech. I revered the use of speech in the civil rights movements of the 20th century, and began to understand its utility as bigotry's ultimate nemesis. Again, not something you'd say, and saying that you reviewed, <laughs> revered the use of speech in the civil rights movements. I don't know. I just feel like how much of this did you actually care about in high school and think about? Maybe you thought about it a lot. Maybe you felt a lot of bigotry, and this made you reflect on the civil rights movements. But my guess is that most of us don't think about those things as much as we should. Um, And so saying that you revered them seems surprising. Yeah. Also, this is the type of thing that anyone can say in their personal statement. Sure. If, if, if you're, if there's a sentence in your personal statement that could be lifted and placed in literally anyone else's personal statement, then you don't put that sentence in your personal statement. That's not personal. I revered the use of speech in the civil rights movements of the 20th century and began to understand its utility as bigotry's ultimate nemesis. 
that's so generic that could go in anyone's personal statement mm-hmm. that is not about you. It's also you telling us that you began to understand something rather than showing us that you understood it. That by you're actually what you doing did. something. Yeah. yeah. So far, we have your opponent, your teammates, your high school principal. We have the ADL and APAC and the civil rights movements of the 20th century. That's all in the first three paragraphs. And, and the only thing we know about you is that you played football and you had some anti-Semitism against you and you then were doing some meetings with the meetings and trainings and stuff. Yeah. And it's all still in high school, by the way. Think about your reader. Your reader is an admissions person at a law school. They're reading a stack of applications from college seniors and young professionals who have gone and done adult things in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're reading your thing, which makes you, frankly, it makes you sound like a kid because it's about your high school experiences. Yeah. And you're going to your school principal. That's the thing that a high schooler does. Yep. So you're, you know, and again, now if they've read your first three paragraphs, they're seeing you as a high schooler. You're no longer an high, a high schooler, but that's what they're visualizing when they're imagining you. Well, they asked you for your personal statement and you are telling them that you are a high schooler. That's literally what has happened so far for three paragraphs. Yeah. Okay. While continuing my activism for the ADL and APAC at a uh, big university, so this is somewhat anonymized here by taking the name of the school out, but I imagine that goes back in, obviously, when you um, write the, yeah, that goes back in. Okay. When continuing, while continuing my activism for the ADL and APAC at uh, school, I founded the first student group dedicated to promulgating free speech as a necessary civil liberty. Wait, what? And was elected to our student government. Okay. The I, first student group where? In the country? <laughs> no. I the can't first imagine. student group at your school. Even then, really? Like, go the, back. The, the first one years? that was dedicated to promulgating free speech as a necessary civil liberty. People have had free speech, free speech clubs before. It's I, the First Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's in the Bill of Rights. It's the first one in the Bill of Rights. In the Bill of Rights, yeah. Very hard to believe. You're going to need to name that student group if you're going to keep this. You're going to need to name that student group. Also, and was elected to our student government as what? Yeah. That's all. That's all vague, and yeah, I'm not digging it. As long as I had a platform to promote tolerance, the message espoused by my student groups would appeal to my peers. What were you doing? Were you giving speeches on speeches? Yeah. You know, the irony is for somebody who, who wanted to start this, this uh, with this big cinematic action splash, right? Which is very concrete and specific, yeah. 
I could almost hear the football pads crunching against each other in that sure. first thing, right? But now I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Yep. It's all just so vague. I keep seeing espoused and promulgate and bevy and, and all these big words, but I don't, I have, I don't have any, there's no human, like there's no, where is Eve here? Mm-hmm. Who are you, Eve? Where are you? Did you give a speech? What was your group trying to accomplish? How many people attended? What was the impetus for the, don't even use that word, by the way. What yeah. was the, <laughs> what caused you to have this meeting or this speech or this event? Like what, what did your group do? Did and you why? sit on the dirty carpet in your dorm room with eight people and do X, Y, Z? Yeah. This sentence, you? as long as I had a platform to promote tolerance, the message espoused by my student groups would appeal to my peers. <laughs> what? That, yeah. I don't, I don't know. We, we, at the very minimum, we need another I in there. As long as I had a platform to promote <laughs> tolerance. Okay. My message or something. Sure. But then even would appeal to my peers. That's so flat. That, that's not, there's no action here. Well, it doesn't make sense too. It makes it sound like what he's saying is not provocative or earth shattering or changing anything. It's something that would appeal to his peers. So they're like, yes, yay, what you're saying is right. Like you need to give a speech about something that apparently people aren't fully getting yet and therefore are going to have some sort of neutral slash negative reaction to at least negative some negative. You have a lot of positive, but like what if you're giving a speech that everybody agrees with, it's not a speech that's moving anything or changing anything. I don't see really anything in this first five paragraphs that I would keep or four. Okay. Par- I, I four paragraphs. I just don't. It's a combination of vague and clunky. I don't. I just. I'm. You know, like okay. What do I know about you, Eve? Uh, you're Jewish, you experienced some anti-Semitism, and then you started doing some activism, although I'm just not even sure what you did. Yep. And if you were elected to student government, that's probably already on your transcripts or your resume. But I would learn more by looking at the transcript or resume because I would find out what you actually were elected to. Well, it doesn't sound like, I mean, my assumption, even I could be totally wrong here, but when you just say I was elected to our student government, but you don't say what your position was, the assumption is that it was a very lowly position. Yeah, it was the lowest one there. That's why you're not saying the name of it. Yeah. like, And so then it's better just not to say anything at all. Unless you're trying to, I mean, lowly positions are not bad. No. Especially if you're going into some, quote, lowly position that's furthering some issue that's very important to you. So to you, it's actually a very important position, but what is the, what's the title? Is it, is it free speech, um, promulgator (laughs) (laughs) or Eve was the president of the student body and is trying to be humble here. Yes, please. You got to sell yourself. There's nothing wrong with stating facts. You don't need to say I was an awesome student body president. No, but, but you, could you were the say, student body an- president. Say it. You were the valedictorian. Say it. Yep. You're 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 supposed to be putting your best foot forward here. 
Okay. One day, walking with my rabbi to attend a weekly study session at the campus hub, we passed a group of ten skinheads. Each bore a red bandana. One man stood out as the leader, semicolon, a faded swastika grasped his left, his left bicep. Grasped just seems a little artsy there. I don't Yeah. A literary flair for unnecessary. Yeah, your anthropomorphism of this swastika flag. Um, okay. The nuance of free speech had never been more conspicuous. What? You, you like to make pretty bold claims about your experiences. They were the first ever. They've never been more conspicuous, whatever that means. The nuance of free speech had never been more conspicuous. <laughs> what? I thought nuance is supposed to be the exact opposite of conspicuous. I mean, that scene, that has to be what Eve's intent here is to play off of that, you know, contrast between nuance and conspicuous. I don't but know. if you're saying the nuance had never been more conspicuous, my response is, well, nuance isn't supposed to be conspicuous. So you're saying that this isn't nuanced, in other words. Also, what is the nuance of free speech? Is that a thing? I've never heard of the nuance of free speech. Is free speech supposed to be nuanced? Because I thought it was supposed to be standing on a soapbox in the middle of the commons and shouting whatever you wanted to shout. I was... I think I'm trying to help Eve out too much, but maybe the idea that like this is so provocative yet it still falls under free speech. I don't know. The thing I just don't, maybe it's the LSAT training in me. I just don't like all the absolutes. There's too much like Eve has been there the first time. It's a lot of telling. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Well, he said first three times already. Mm-hmm earlier in the thing he said first and so now this is the most right never been more conspicuous it's the most conspicuous that the nuance of free speech has ever been conspicuous (laughs) (laughs) dude our advice is the same to eve as it was to uh jordan you just gotta sit down and write an email to a boss or something you would never write this to your boss I say your boss because you want it to be like thought out, but you're not going to write this garbage. Sorry, Eve. Oh, yeah. And read it out loud to yourself, possibly. Because I think the the things like promulgating and espoused and all these fancy words that are coming out here, I think if you read those out loud, you'll you'll start to hear how it sounds. If you're comfortable using all the words you've used here in a conversation at a party on Thursday night, then go ahead. Yeah. And they fit you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he's walking by, he's got, he's with the rabbi walking past 10 skinheads with bandanas and swastikas. Again, a man who would prefer to see my people in animal cages stood ready to pronounce his bigotry. Only this time, a cast of nine supporters circled him, and he controlled a platform in campus's most trafficked area. Okay. 
A truck painted red with swastikas pulled up behind the neo-Nazis. Painted above each swastika read, The Greatest Story Never Told. The neo-Nazis hoisted signs, No more terror, no more war, America stop being the Israel's whore. Is that a typo? And led raucous chants, Communist Jews take care of them before they steal from you. I don't know if it's a typo, but I wouldn't be too confident in uh, neo-Nazis grammar. Yeah, yeah, could be. <laughs> if it's, but if you're citing a typo, you want to put sick in there. <laughs> otherwise, it, otherwise, it's your typo. Yeah. Um, that hate reverberated, drawing a crowd of nearly 30 suspicious and reserved students. I don't like those adjectives there in front of students. Suspicious and reserved. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're telling me instead of showing me. What did they look like? What were they doing? Yeah. Were they what, what? peering? Were they crouching? I don't know. Something. They were just suspicious and reserved. Yeah. It, instead of using those adjectives, use, use active verbs to show me their suspicion or their reservation. Yeah. Did After they a moment over their shoulders. Sorry. Yeah. Right, 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 right. After a moment of dismay, I was determined to combat the neo-Nazis message with one that would uplift the Jewish people's image. I knew of only one tool capable. Organized activism promoting a better message. So wait, what did you do? Did you do something right then and there? No, he didn't. Did you go? That's the second time, by the way, in this one personal statement that he didn't act in the moment. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not saying he should have like stormed the stage. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is why put that anecdote in there if you didn't do anything in the moment? It's like I'm yeah. being cinematic. I'm going to show you these dramatic moments, but they don't have they don't have resolution. How receptive are people to these neo-Nazi messages anyway? I mean, I guess uh, maybe it's just my own like reaction, but I'd be like, okay, here's some idiots walking around. I'm going to go to class. Um, like, are you know, do do these sort of messages need to be countered? I guess that's a sad state if they do. I guess that's maybe that is a problem. Oh, and I take it back. He did act, uh, not in the moment, literally, but he acted, uh, he acted fast. Okay, so here, here we go. The organizing had to be done fast. I quickly sent a message to all member groups under the Jewish Student Union to bring their marketing material and their dancing feet. I asked my rabbi if he would go home and bring the song sheets we used each Friday night to celebrate our culture and heritage. Finally, I sent a message to my peers in student government and the free speech club asking if they would join. 30 minutes later, over 65 of my colleagues, Jewish and non-Jewish, held hands in a circle 20 feet to the side of the neo-Nazis. We were singing and dancing to Havanagila, a Jewish folk song, led by my rabbi. Students who may never have met a Jew walked past the neo-Nazis and the multicultural display of unity and chose to join our circle. Cool. Now we see something happening. We did not engage in name-calling, and we did not physically intimidate them, as my teammates had suggested on that day long ago. 
We simply competed in the marketplace of ideas and defeated their message with a more inclusive one. The neo-Nazis left our campus without finding support. Their attempt to divide us failed. A better, more true message dominated the schism. What? Schism. The divide? <laughs> dominated the... Oh, it's an attempt to divide and a true... But a... It's this metaphorical kind of speaking. It, a better, more true message dominated the schism. It dominated the schism. Bridged the schism? Defeat? Well, I think he's trying to say he bridged. defeated. But bridged, though. But or closed. Did they bridge any gaps with these folks? Well, it's a, he's saying it's an attempt to divide us, he means the campus community. And they brought the community together. Yeah, they failed to divide. I don't know. Anyway, it's just too much with the imagery. Bigotry against groups of people will likely persist throughout law school and my prospective legal career. Throughout years of activism, I have been called a Zionist pig. Swastikas were painted on my mailbox and home. I fought back with articles in the student newspaper, my favorite titled The Jewish Way, How Torah Teaches Us to Confront Hate. I will remain active in confronting these messages, not through censorship or hate, but through my freedom to defeat bigotry with a better message. Hmm. That's it. Closing thoughts on that? Uh, no, I was just caught up in like the stuff that he's had to go through. That's pretty crazy. Strange. Yeah. 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 It's nuts. But, um, I feel like it ended better than it started by a long shot. We finally got some, action yeah i mean there was actually like something happening yeah you know 65 people and they were doing something they were holding hands in a circle singing and dancing to a specific song and that's like facts and so it's much less on the adjectives and it's much more on the just you know nouns and verbs and people doing things and it was him doing something because he's the one who organized this thing yeah I also like the mentioning the article. I mean, it's probably already mentioned somewhere else, but this idea of like, oh, Eve is doing something. Eve felt confronted or attacked in a public forum at school in some way, shape, or form and decided to respond with an article that puts his name out there and defending his views. I think... That, to me, is like, oh, okay, you're using a message to confront bigotry. That makes a lot more sense than the stuff you were saying about your group at the very beginning. Yeah, you you don't want to be just whining about injustices, right? You don't don't want to... It's condescending to the reader to tell them about anti-Semitism. You can tell them what happened to you, but you can't, you can't just be like sort of 
whining about injustices generally. I mean, you get your reader might have experienced way worse anti-Semitism than anything you're you're discussing here. Mm-hmm. Y- you don't know. Um, I'm not saying that Eve is doing a lot of that type of whining, but it just it it starts going in that direction with like you know the fact that he saw neo Nazis skinheads people with swastikas the fact that he saw that on his campus it's not all that shocking for for people who live in the modern world it's not like all that shocking to see some idiots with a swastika yeah i guess i'm surprised that they showed up but yeah i don't know i don't know you I mean you see that around in the city from time to time you know and Mostly what happens is you, you see people, at least in the U.S., I think, you, you mostly see people, they either think, oh, my God, you look at these crazy people, or they start you know yelling at them and confronting them and mm-hmm. throwing shit at them and that kind of thing. I, I'm not really sure about this. I can only give like my personal response to this, but I'm, if, I were, if I were reading this personal statement, I, I, one part of me reacts to this by saying, wait a minute, you called attention to these 10 skinheads that were on campus and you, you like raised the drama of this moment by attracting everyone on campus down to this spot. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that's like, um, you could have just ignored them maybe. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying that's the right response at all. I I I am I'm not saying that's the right response. I'm saying certain types of readers are going to look at this and go, "Oh wow, so we have a guy who's going to be involved in conflagrations on campus. We have a guy who's going to be sending emails out to the entire school and um causing uh, potentially media-worthy confrontations." Mhm. Like somebody who sees crazy people, feels offended and then recruits all of his connections to come down to that area of campus. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not actually saying that. I'm just saying that's a, that's an argument that some people would make. I I think that there's certain types of readers who would read, who would see this and they would be like, well, we got other people with similar credentials who aren't going to be uh, involved in these kinds of uh, public spirited confrontations. I mean, his public the 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 response that he organized was very friendly. So anyone who does think that probably won't think that he poses a threat in any way. If that's what you're. Wa- worried about no yeah i just I, I could see somebody reading this and going well that could have ended really badly yeah that could have i mean that could have ended with one person throwing a bottle and turns into something a lot worse so yeah i mean i, I don't know i'm not hey i'm not a i'm not an activist by any sense so i don't i don't know what the correct thing is uh, what about okay how about this ben I don't know how old Eve is, mm-hmm. but I now see Eve as a college student. Yeah, it definitely changed. But I mean, as 
as only a college student though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I think Eve had better be a senior in college. Yeah. I would be pretty disappointed in this if I, if I found out that Eve was even two years out of college. Mm-hmm. I think if Eve's two years out of college, this is not an acceptable personal statement. Yeah. Because you're, this is something that happened to you when you were in school. This is a college campus story, and it has absolutely nothing in it after college. And so, you know, who are you, Eve? And, and you have told them that you are a campus free speech organizer. Specifically Jewish and interested in combating um, anti-Semitism, anti-defamation. Yeah. And that's, so that's, that's who you're selling. And I think if you're a, if you're a college junior or college senior and that's who you want to sell, then that's fine. But I think if you've, (laughs) if you've had a job after college, I don't think this is what you want to talk about. Yeah. You, you agree, Ben? Yeah, I agree. Um, What would be really interesting is if, this sort of thing persisted after college, but um, yeah. Anyways, I would assume not. I hope not <laughs> at work, but yeah, you don't really hear certainly not 10 skinheads rolling into your office. <laughs> I just wondered if it was more subtle, you know, like workplace banter. That's not really acceptable, but happens. Well, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have, I have seen it um, mostly on the East Coast. It's kind of odd. I, as someone who grew up in California, I had no idea that anti-Semitism was even a thing. Um, but then when I moved to Boston, I first saw it in Boston. I saw it in the, hmm. I saw it in New England for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Next, we should, do you think that's enough? Any closing remarks for Eve? Eve, thanks for writing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I hope that was somewhat useful. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Eve. Um, okay. Moving on. Hey, Ben and Nathan. If you read this on the air, call me something referential like Mr. T. Okay. We will. I love the podcast. I'm a newspaper copy editor, so I appreciate the way you rip apart listener emails. Cool. I've been studying for a few weeks now. My cold time diagnostic was a 161. Holy smokes. It's a good cold time diagnostic. Yeah. I've been following your advice of taking and reviewing a time section every day. I've also been doing a daily chapter from Mike Kim's LSAT trainer. I've become decent at LR and RC. Well, you already were decent. I generally miss two or fewer questions per section and finish with time to spare. Okay. But success at LG eludes me. I missed four attempted questions in my most recent logic game section and did not attempt more than one question on the final game. Hmm. That is, that's not good that you're missing four attempted questions. You need to be acing the games, at least the ones that you get to. Yep. I know from listening to you that I need, I need to slow down and focus on the basics. After all, perfecting three games is better than botching four. True. Yep. Do you have any tips for reviewing missed LG questions and honing fundamentals? What basics do your students often overlook or rush past? Hmm. 
usually the problem starts with uh, your initial setup and not doing enough with the initial game to really get your mind wrapped around the rules. Or if you're missing an individual question, but everything else went well, same problem. You didn't do enough work up front. You can't believe how many people read the question when it says, if T is second, then which one of the following must be true? And they write down T is second, and then they start reading to me answer choice A. A says yeah. S yeah. is third. And it's like, uh, do you want to do anything with that information that they gave you? So if you're not doing enough with the information that they give you, trying to figure out what must be true and not what could be true, God damn it, um, what must be true given the fact that T is second, then you can start really nailing these questions. Yeah, so you're saying on the if questions where they give you a clue, yeah, uh, you need to actually follow the implications of that clue rather than just immediately diving into the answer choices. Yeah, I would say that's almost universal. Not, uh, yeah. not universal, but I, when people start out with the games or the LSAT or whatever, it seems like that's what they do. They take the clue and then they just jump into the answer choices. Yeah. Or yeah. they try to figure out like what could be true based on the fact that T is second. And it's sort of like, dude, I don't care about what could be true. I only care about what must be true. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, sort of a broader point is just, well, the ones you're missing, mm-hmm. to review them, you go back and you redo them and you figure out what the right answer is. Sure. That's how you review a missed logic game question. And because that question is perfectly solvable. Yeah. You have to be able to prove the correct answer to yourself, even though you know it's D or whatever. Yeah. I want you to tell me which one is the one that answers the question. And I want you to tell me how all four of them don't, all four of the wrong answers don't answer the question. And when you go through that process of redoing the question and finding the right answer, proving the right answer to yourself, Half the time or more, you're going to be slapping yourself upside the head like, oh, man, how could I be so stupid as to have picked that answer that I picked? Yeah. And more often than not, I mean, it's two things. It's either one, you misread something, misunderstood something, just made an error in one of your steps along the way, Mm -hmm. which is inexcusable on the games. You just can't afford to misread things. Lawyers don't misread things. Yeah. And, or the other thing is you just, you were half-assing it. You were skimming the surface. You weren't really trying to solve it. You were just like, oh, well, this will probably work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that seems like it's, I, people say that. People are like, well, I picked B because that seemed like it would work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, in other words, you didn't do the question. Yeah. That's not, the question didn't ask you, hey, do you think this would might maybe work? That's not what the question said. The question said, which one of these must fucking be true? Yeah. And that means it's the only one that must be true. And the other four did not have to be true. And And you're like, well, but this could be true. Yeah. I know, but that's not what it says. It says, which one must be true? Yeah. Well, it's not even that. Because it could be a could be true question, right? And it's like, which one could be true? And they're like, it seems like T most likely could go here. Whenever someone says probably yeah. or whatever, it's like, okay, you're, you're going down the wrong path. Yeah. Well, in that case, if it is a could be true question, then that means that the four wrong answers each must be false. Must be false. So 
Yeah. So on a could be true question, you can still prove the correct answer by disproving the four incorrect answers. If it's a could be true question, you should be able to conclusively eliminate four wrong answers that must be false. The opposite of could be true is must be false. So show me the four that must be false. And then I will be willing to accept your, well, this one could be, could be true. Mm -hmm. Then you don't. And because by the way, you don't have to prove it to me that it could be true. If you have disproved the four that must be false. I mean, side note here, just to add to this, this is what I love about the games. There's so many different ways to get to the right answer, but you can get there and it's definitive. And that is if you want to prove the right answer and it could be true question, you create the scenario and then you just check off each rule. There's only three to five rules in each game. And that's the those are the only things you have to comply with. If you've complied with those rules, you're done. There's nothing else that has to happen. And so if you've complied, then that scenario could be true. Yeah, th- that's two different ways to get to the answer on a could be true question. Yeah. I, I think I more often, though, disprove the four wrong answers. I think it's frequently faster to get rid of the wrong answers. Hmm. Like, especially on that list question. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. You are testing all of the, you are, you're doing both, I guess, if you do the list question the right way. Yeah. I, right. Cause you are knocking out the four wrong ones. Uh huh. I'm trying to think about, like, if it's a straight up just could be true question without if. Yeah. I think in most cases, I'm probably looking back at previous diagrams. I'm not sure about that, though. Well, you use previous diagrams to eliminate, or or sorry, to see if you found it before, to see yeah, if you've done like, it before. Oh, yeah, I've seen that happen before, so yeah, there we go. Could be. Could be. But, yeah, bottom line, figure it out, be able to prove it to yourself, not just feel like that's likely the answer. Um, videos. Vi- videos? Well... I mean, watch our videos. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you wouldn't believe how many people don't watch videos, our videos, when they're in class. It's crazy. You videos do are the like, best way to learn logic games. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah. No, they do a game and then they just like, well, it didn't go so well, so let me try another one. Well, no, figure out what you missed. Sometimes it's just one small question what can I do with this variable? And that leads to an inference that makes the game three times easier than whatever you did. Anyways, I'll continue. So Mr. T says, I won't be able to take the LSAT until July. So I have a lot of time to drill games, but I suspect simply drilling won't help if I don't build a solid foundation or focus my practice on proving, improving specific skills. That is true. You can't just drill, drill, drill. You got to do a game and then learn from it. But then if you are learning from games, then drilling will help. You you also have to raise your standards. I mean, it's just not okay to finish a section and miss four of the ones that you attempted. Yeah. You have to stop doing that. You have to you have to change your mindset as you're doing the sections. You have to decide that you are not going to miss any questions on the logic games. Of the questions you attempt, you are going to solve them completely and know that you got them right. And you should be shocked when you miss a question. Yep. So if, so if you are mm-hmm. going to just volume drill, that needs to be your plan. Is like, hey, I'm just not going to miss any questions. I'm going to do all this shit. I'm going to figure out the answer for all of them. Yep. 
Yeah, so for you, Mr. T, right now, you need to be doing two games and acing those. Once you do that, then you have permission to do more. <laughs> yeah, and you'll find that if your plan is, I mean, and even back up off of that, it's one game and ace it. Sure, yeah. And if there's time remaining in the section, then you do another game and ace that one. And if there's time remaining in the section, you do another game and ace that one. And you will find in the long run that this is a much faster way to approach the games because you're going to actually be understanding it. Mm -hmm. And then the games will start to seem easy because you're actually understanding it. Uh, Let's see here. As an aside, I have had a great time incorporating the LSAT into my overall daily regimen. I have found that treating the LSAT like a personal health item takes off some of the edge. Every morning I wake up, meditate, go to the gym, and then study for the LSAT. I'm an atheist, but I've taken to cheekily calling this my body, mind, and spirit routine. Uh, The biggest benefit hasn't even been on the test. Since starting my studies and new routine, I'm finding myself more energetic, relaxed, and mentally sharp throughout the rest of the day. Not everyone has time for that, and I work evenings so that I have the lu- so I have the luxury of being leisurely in the morning. But I think taking a few moments to turn inward and focus on emotional and physical care each day may help some people tone down their neurotic attitude toward the test. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. If the L set is just like brushing your teeth, then it no longer carries the same soul-crushing weight. The test will only dominate your life if you ascribe it an outsized importance. Thanks for everything you do. Sincerely, Mr. T. Yeah, that's good advice. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. T. Um, yeah, I told. I like all that. I like the way he sort of sold that plan as well. Seems like he's got a got a really good attitude about it. So yeah, yeah, I think he'll do well, and it will appeal to our atheist and non-atheist listeners alike. Of course, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, his uh, cold diagnostic was a 161. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty easy for him to, uh, he, you know, it's, he's, he gets uh, energy from the test because the test is essentially easy for him to begin with. Hey guys, just chill out, all right? It's going to be fine. It's just fine. All you have to do is just start with a 161. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty funny. No, but I mean, this is the exact type of person that that is, uh, you know, he's, sort of born for this and he's going to do really well. So, um, yeah, congratulations, Mr. T I, I, with a cold one sixty one, and you suck at games. I mean, that's like something in the one seventies is pretty easily or, or very conceivably within range for sure. Yeah. So that's great. Cool. Should we call it a show? Yeah. All right. That was show one thirty nine. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.